Thanks, Brian. Hey, everybody. Well, I think I have about 10 mosquito bites on me from the last 30 minutes. Uh, we had the doors open in here when we first got here. Such a beautiful day. And then we got overrun by mosquitoes. So um, that's why all the doors are closed up tight. If you see any in here, I'm not going to be offended or call you out if you start you know, clapping or swiping or whatnot. It would be a public service to kill some mosquitoes. Hey, and one other note, too. I'm so just touched uh, that we prayed for my sister and her family earlier tonight. I uh, um, obviously really love them and love that we're partners with them here at the church with their missions in Peru. I, I will say this. It was awesome. My sister's three years older than me. So my whole life, people have been telling me that we favor each other, but they'd always say, you look like your sister, which is that, does that mean I look like a girl? I didn't know how to, what to make of that as a teenager. But tonight, for the first time in my life, Becca said that she looked like me. Yes. And it just made my prideful heart sing. Lord, forgive me. <laughs> All right, so let's get into it. Our text tonight is 1 Kings chapter 21. We are continuing on in the series that we're doing on the prophet Elijah, the life and times of the prophet Elijah. And this is another text that Elijah doesn't show up in, and yet it's talking sort of about what's going on in Israel during his ministry. In particular, this is a story highlighting a great tragedy in Israel um, that's hard to read about. With that being said, though, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word. We're going to look at 16 verses tonight. So 1 Kings 21, verses 1 through 16. Here we go. Now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel, beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my God. And so Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my father. And so Ahab lay down on his bed and turned away his face. He would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Excuse me, do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard, Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And set two worthless men opposite him. And let them bring a charge against him saying, you have cursed God and the king, and take him out and stone him to death. And the men of his city, the elders and the leaders who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, as it was written in the letters that she had sent to them. 
they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city, and they stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned. He is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. This is the word of God. Thanks be to him. Let's pray. Father, I ask and pray that the words of my mouth in these next few moments and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. We ask it and pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for standing. You guys go ahead and be seated. So, y'all, I, I had a tremendously difficult time this week coming up with how to start this sermon. A sermon intro. I, I struggled so much. There were so many balled up, crinkled papers that I threw at the wastebasket with ideas that weren't going to work. I mean, it got so desperate that one of the ways that I, at one point, was going to start the sermon was by saying, if we do a deep analysis of the land customs of Leviticus 25, yikes, that's like sermon valium right there. Y'all probably just fell asleep hearing me say that as an example. I could not figure out a way. So I, I, I want you to pretend that I am starting this sermon with just a story or an example that uh, we laughed and we cried and we felt all the emotions. And now you are sitting on the edge of your seat ready, desperate, hungry to know what God is trying to say to us through this scripture about Naboth and his vineyard. And you know, truthfully, you should be sitting on the edge of your seat. Even though I didn't have an introduction to give you for that, this story is one that is so deep and rich and profound with its themes of, of justice and, and truth and even hope, believe it or not. That's actually why I struggled with coming up with an intro this week. It's not because there was nothing to say about Naboth's vineyard. It's because there was so much to say, so much that I wanted to, to be able to shine a light on in this passage. And I couldn't find the, the one story or the one example or the one intro that would kind of express it all. There was nothing that would capture everything that I was hoping to get out of this, especially not a dry statement about ancient land customs in Leviticus 25. So, no intro, just the pretend one, but we are going to jump, jump right into this. And, and the way that I kind of was thinking of the passage this week was as an onion, that you peel back layers of the onion. Hopefully it won't make you cry, but there are layers here that I want to hit. And I think I've got a slide up here about the different layers I want to peel back. First on the top is the land. 
we're going to peel that layer back. Then we're going to look at a layer that has to do with the actions of the king and also the queen. As you remember, she played a very big part of what happens here. And then finally, the last layer that we're going to peel back has to do with the inheritance that we see in this passage. And my hope is that as we peel back these layers, what we're going to get to is sort of like this, this core, this, this heart underneath this text that will help us see what it is that God wants us to learn and to see about him and his people through this text and this, quite frankly, tragedy about Naboth's vineyard. There is a lot of really bleak, heart-rending things that we read about in this passage, but believe it or not, I think that when we get to the core of what God's saying, we're going to see a lot of hope here. I know that might seem like a long shot, but it's there. So let's start peeling back that first layer that has to do with the land. So I read this text and the first thing that sort of is a question for me is why didn't Naboth cash in? Why didn't he sell his vineyard? I mean, Ahab comes to him. He's not trying to take the vineyard. He says, I'm going to give you a better vineyard for the one that you have. I, if you want money, I'll give you the, the best market value you could find. I mean, that's what you do with property, right? I mean, Alicia and Keith, you're my real estate experts. I mean, he could have flipped this vineyard and made a profit, right? Sure. The expert said it. So, why not? Well, the truth is, Naboth didn't sell his vineyard because he couldn't. The Lord had forbidden it. So, Israel is in this unique situation. All the other kingdoms of the Mediterranean world around them had this very top-down structure of land ownership. It all belonged to the king, and he divvied it and doled it out as he saw fit. But in Israel, it was different. In Israel, the land had been given to individual tribes and clans and the families within them. The first distribution of the land came to the very first settlers of Israel. God had given it to them as families. And the purpose of that was that this family land was going to be a perpetual inheritance that would pass down generation by generation by generation forever in that same family. And, and to protect this, there are laws written in the legal code of Israel that prevent the buying and selling and trading, the wheeling and dealing of properties. Uh, the people were forbidden of, for doing that with this family inheritance that had been given them. And you might wonder, well, why is that? There's probably a lot we could say, but I'm going to highlight two main reasons why scholars think that this is the case. One... Because God was protecting the, the people that might be the most um, vulnerable to having their land taken from them or uh, monopolized. So he was protecting against uh, maybe a greedy landowner just gobbling up all the tracts of land around them. He was protecting against territorial expansion and ambition from a mighty or powerful leader of a clan or a tribe. He was even protecting against when people fell on hard times and maybe had to sell, um, you know, temporarily the land to get out of those hard times. 
Like that, that was the very rare occasion when somebody could sell their property. If they got in such a desperate situation, they had to give it away or lease it out to someone. And yet, in God's economy, there was a year. It was called the year of Jubilee. It happened every 50 years where everything reset. Debts were forgiven. Servants were set free. And land, if it had had to be leased away or whatnot, returned to its original family ownership. So God sets these laws in place to protect people and protect the inheritance of families that were given to them by God from the earliest days. But here's the other thing about this. And it's probably the most important thing that I really want to highlight here. God did it this way to emphasize the fact that the land belonged to him. It didn't belong to a king. It didn't even belong to the families that it had been given to, God had graciously given out of his ownership to the people. Now, if you are wheeling and dealing, buying and selling, trading your property, it might give the impression that it belongs to you and it's yours to do whatever you want with it. But because God had implemented these provisions, the people were always mindful that this is not mine to do whatever I want with it. It belongs to God first and foremost. And so I won't act as if it's mine. That's actually the way that I'm going to sneak in that Leviticus 25 that I told you guys about that. My, t my terrible idea for a sermon opening. Well, I'm going to use it right now. It's going to be short though. Uh, I think it's the next slide. Leviticus 25, 23. God says this. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity. That is permanently. For the land is mine. You are strangers and sojourners with me. That is, you are residents. You are uh, leasees with me. So God makes it very clear that you don't buy and sell. You don't trade. You don't do this with your family inheritance because it's pointing back to the fact that this all belongs to me in the first place. So when Naboth is approached with this this awesome sweet deal by King Ahaz, he answers, the Lord forbid that I give you the inheritance of my fathers. And when he said that, he was being very literal. The Lord had forbidden it. And even if Naboth wanted to sell the land, even if he had his eye on a better vineyard, he couldn't do it, both because of the structure of the laws of Israel, but also because he knew the land didn't belong to him. It wasn't his to buy or sell or trade freely. You know, when you sort of peel back this layer, as I've been calling the three points that I have, what you begin to see is that the heart of this story is not just a greedy king that came in and gobbled up whatever he wanted. The heart of this story is a new vision of power and authority being presented to Israel. In Ahab and Jezebel's mind, the land didn't belong to God. In their mind, it belonged to the person in power. It belonged to the king. It belonged to the people that had enough might to take it and use it and exploit it. And it made me think this week that, you know, what we have here in the story of Naboth's vineyard is a great injustice. And it made me think that maybe the place where injustice begins is when we stop thinking of the world as belonging to God and we start focusing purely on what's mine. 
what belongs to me. When we stop thinking of people as people created the image of God, but we start thinking purely of who can I utilize to get me what I want? Maybe that's the place where injustice begins. So this first layer of the onion that we peel back is the land and what that says about what's truly going on in this narrative. Let's look at the second one. This one has to do with the king and the queen and what they did, which is awful. So Ahab has kind of been our whipping boy for the last two or three months. Feels like every story we read about in 1 Kings, Ahab just, it gets worse. <laughs> and tonight it, it really is bad for him because, I mean, truthfully, he just acts like a child. Did you notice that in the passage? Let me read verse 4 for you again. It says, Ahab went into his house vexed and solemn because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And so he lay down on his bed. He turned away his face and he wouldn't eat any food. He threw a temper tantrum. Like some of you parents in here, like this is what your toddler does turned their face towards the wall, refused to eat any food. I mean, it just, it's so pitiful. And, and just this guy's life, it just gets worse and worse with every chapter that we read. And then along comes his wife, Jezebel, who does not seem impressed by this temper tantrum that King Ahab is throwing. And, and for a lot of reason. I mean, she comes from a kingdom, remember we said earlier, in the other kingdoms of the Mediterranean, all the land belonged to the monarch. It was his to do what he wanted with. So she comes in, and her husband is pouting because he wants this vegetable garden, and Naboth won't give it to him. It's like, are you the king or not? What are you doing? And she takes matters into her own hands. What she ends up doing is, as we read about, she writes letters to basically frame Naboth. And have people lie about him to get a, a chance to take the land that's in his family. There, there weren't too many things in Israel that would allow for someone to forfeit their, their family inheritance. But one of them was blasphemy, public cursing of God. If that happens, then that person's land rights and even their life is forfeit in ancient Israel. And so she writes to the people, the elders, the leaders. She sets up this scheme. They find two worthless men, the text says, who agree to lie through their teeth to say that Naboth cursed God publicly at this fast. That's why they called a fast, so it would be a public place. Everyone would be there. And the mob is outraged. They drag him outside the city. They execute him. And all of a sudden, Naboth's vineyard is available to make into a vegetable garden. Now, you could be saying, well, hey, doesn't this take Ahab off the hook? I mean, Jezebel is the one that enacts this scheme, but the last verse of our text was so damning for him. Jezebel comes to him and says, hey, your obstacle is dead. The garden's yours if you want it. And Ahab doesn't ask her any questions. He doesn't protest about how this had happened. He has no hesitation at all. And so he rises up and he goes and he takes a stroll through his new 
vineyard slash vegetable garden. Wow. I was telling the church up in paradise this morning that I struggled this week in a lot of ways, but one of them was finding just the words that would capture how tragic and how horrific this truly is. It's bad enough that a man was falsely accused and murdered and his property and inheritance taken. But when it gets sort of amped up to the nth degree is when we realize that this happened in Israel. This happened in the place God had created to be a beacon and a light that pointed towards his mercy and justice and truth. This cannot happen in Israel. God had put together his covenant people and he had instituted them in such a way that of, of all the peoples of the world, they would be the one where the, the stranger and the alien wasn't demonized, but was embraced. Where the, the, the fatherless and the orphan and the widow weren't cast aside and ignored, but they would be protected and provided for. Where, where the weak and the powerless weren't just pawns in the game of the powerful, but they were actually given pride of place in Israeli society and protected. That's what Israel was meant to be. And yet in this narrative, we see all of that being torn down by none less than the actual king, the one who was supposed to lead the way in this mercy and justice and truth. It is I'll use the same word I have already. Tragic. When we read this, we're seeing a great blow that's being dealt to the purpose and the calling of Israel as a people. And what it says to me, and I hope it says to you too, is the, the fact that the writer of 1 Kings took a, a whole chapter just to highlight this, to hone in on this. The fact that this event is enough to pull the prophet Elijah out of his semi-retirement, which we'll see next week. This is enough to get him coming back and saying, what just happened? The fact that all these things are being highlighted here, it says to me that the Bible is wanting to open our eyes to something that we can't afford to forget. That justice matters to God. Truth matters to God. Fairness and righteousness matter to God. So much so that when he forms his covenant community, whether it be Old Testament Israel or even now the church following Jesus in the gospel, when he forms those covenant communities, he does it for the sake of having them reflect the things that matter to him. His justice, his righteousness, his truth, and many other things, but we'll highlight that We're meant not to only reflect those things amongst each other, but we're even meant to stand for them in the world when we see it going forward. When we see injustice, when we see brokenness, when we see chaos to say, this is not right. Justice matters to God. Did you notice in this text that the plan that Jezebel enacted would not have gone anywhere if not for the people that willingly participated in it? The leaders that she wrote to, the town officials that were all part of it, the worthless men that agreed to lie about Naboth. There were so many people 
that had to just go along with the status quo to make this injustice happen. I don't want to be one of those. And I don't want the church to be either. Let's move on to the final layer. We've looked at the land. We've looked at the king and the queen. We finally get now to the inheritance. This is the one that's kind of deepest in the onion. We're going to need to dig deepest in the Bible to figure out what's going on here. But it has to do with the fact that, well, we've already read this verse. When Naboth refuses Ahab's author, here's what Ahab's offer, here's what he says. The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my father. So Naboth rejects what Ahab wanted because he wants to protect the inheritance that he got from his father and he'll give to his children and their children and on and on and on and on. Ahab rejects Ahab's offer, excuse me, Naboth rejects Ahab's author. It's hard with all these names, you know, it gets mixed up in your head. Because he wants to honor the fact that the land is God's and he's not going to give it away. He also rejects the offer because there are laws in Israel, like we talked about, that say, hey, you don't give your inheritance away. You don't buy it, sell it, trade it, whatever. So there are laws, there are protections, there are principles, all that are keeping this inheritance safe from being taken from the king. But at the end of the day, none of it matters. The king still got what he wanted. And all the laws or protections all the statutes put in place to keep that inheritance safe, they weren't enough to protect Naboth's inheritance from the designs of wicked men and women. So it makes me as a reader realize just how fragile it is, these things. An inheritance that we talked about was God's gracious gift to Naboth and his family. It was so fragile, even with all the protections put into place. It was still taken from him. And it makes me as a reader wonder, is there any inheritance? Is there any gracious gift of God that is safe from evil? That is safe from injustice? That is safe from being snatched away from me or anyone else in this world? If Naboth's inheritance wasn't protected, how about mine? Well, that's what takes us to the New Testament. I've got up on the screen for you. 1 Peter chapter 1, and it's got an answer to that question. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here we go. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Is there any inheritance that's safe from evil? Any inheritance that's safe from being snatched away from you by injustice? Yes. It's the one purchased for you in Jesus Christ. See, in, in the Old Testament, we, we read about this and we see that there are these laws, there are these provisions that are meant to protect the gracious gift of God. But like we just said, they finally in the end are shown to be fragile. Ahab and Jezebel are able to take what they want. But as bleak and as heartbreaking as that is, it's meant to point you to something more. 
It's meant to point you to the inheritance that Jesus Christ purchases for his people. That is imperishable. That is, it never perishes. How about that for a definition? Josh, what does imperishable mean? Uh, Not perishable? It is undefiled. It is unfading. It will never fade away. And it is kept, that is protected, guarded, tenaciously guarded by God the Father for you. And guess what? Your inheritance, it ain't a vegetable garden. It's not a vineyard. It's not dirt of the ground. It is something more than that. It is restoration of your relationship with God the Father. It is the peace and joy, the abiding peace and joy and sustenance of the Holy Spirit. It is eternity with God, eternal life in his presence, where at his right hand is fullness of joy and in his presence are pleasures forevermore, forever. That's your inheritance, and Ahab can't take it away from you. Jezebel can't take it away from you. The brokenness and fallenness of this world cannot take it away from you. I think some of you astute readers might have noticed as we are reading this passage that there is a lot of overlap with the life of Naboth and what happened to him and the life of Jesus Christ and what happened to him. Both men have two false witnesses arise against them to accuse them. Both accusations are blasphemy. Both men are dragged outside the city and executed. Both men are victims of the powerful who think that they're able to lord it over the so-called weak. And I would imagine for many who stood there at the crucifixion of Jesus, they probably thought, hey, whatever inheritance this guy has, it's gone now. It was taken from him. But here's the key difference. On the third day, Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. He proclaimed that death cannot defeat me, the grave cannot hold me, and this inheritance which I have earned and which I freely share for anyone who has faith in me, it's going to take a lot more than death and injustice to snatch it out of my hands. In fact, nothing can snatch it out of his hands and nothing can take it from you if you are in Christ. Your inheritance, like I said, way more than a vegetable garden, way more than a vineyard. It is salvation, protected and kept for you. And no injustice can ever take that away. When you reflect on the story of what happened with Naboth, I hope that you feel deep in your bones the injustice here. And I hope it makes you want to rise up and speak out against unrighteousness and injustice. I hope it makes you want to fight against it. I hope it makes you where you say, I never want to be just going along with the status quo, making this happen. But at the same time, as you read this story, I hope it also gives you that anchor of hope of knowing that whatever injustice you encounter in this world, It is never enough to rob you of the inheritance you have in Jesus. 
and that the fuel you have, the motive you have, the foundation you have to fight against things happening to Naboth like this is that gospel that can't be taken. One of the ideas I had to start this sermon that ended up in the wastebasket was this, this tweet that I came Is it still the tweet? I know Twitter is called X now. Is that, does anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm getting a lot of blank stares. Thanks, Brad. You know, I'm actually, I'm actually looking at the clock. I don't have time to talk about this. So I'll save that for another day. But for now, I hope that you can see in this passage both the call to speak out against injustice, but also the call to know that what anchors us in that is our gospel hope that can't be robbed. Let's pray. Father, I, I find myself thinking about Naboth, this real real man with a real family. I find myself grieving what happened to him. Grieving how he was just a victim of this machine of corruption and power and injustice. And yet I also find myself hoping that there's a day in the future where we will meet him in heaven and he will with a smile on his face look at us and say, my real inheritance could never be stolen. Ahab can take that vineyard. What I have in Christ is so much more valuable. And it's the thing that could never be taken away. I pray all of that would be felt by us if we are in Christ. And if there's anyone here tonight who's hearing this that doesn't know Jesus and yet is, is pulled in their hearts to have an inheritance like this, I pray that you would stir within them a desire to believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, to repent of their sins and to follow him in faith. I pray that they too would know the joy of having an inheritance that is imperishable, unfading, and kept in heaven forever. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand up and sing together.